Hello, I'm Dr. Annalene Weston, Dental Legal Consultant at Dental Protection. Welcome to Risk Bites, a series of podcasts created specifically for dental practitioners in Australia. Risk Bites looks at the key dental legal risks and issues affecting dental practitioners across Australia and provides helpful advice and guidance on how to steer clear of them, leaving you free to provide safe and high quality dental care for your patients. In this edition, my colleague, Dr. Mike Rutherford, will be looking at medical emergencies. So in some ways it sounds self-evident, Mike, but I'm gonna ask anyway, why do we need to know how to deal with emergencies relating to dental treatment? Oh, hi, Annalyn. Yes, it does sound self-evident, but it certainly is a professional obligation for all dental practitioners to provide prompt and appropriate aid to any of our patients who suffer distress in our care. This is also a community expectation from any health professional. If you provide the treatment, you necessarily need to be able to deal with any adverse outcomes, particularly life-threatening ones. Secondary to this, but just as important, is the need to provide a rapid and efficient transfer of care to the most appropriate resource to support life in the most extreme case and to minimise harm in all other cases. This would often mean the ambulance service or referral to a hospital emergency department or a medical practitioner. So in discussing this, I'd like to divide the discussion up into two parts. First, emergencies directly related to treatment that we are providing, such as sodium hypochlorite incidents, surgical emphysema, or an aspirated foreign body. And then emergencies more indirectly related to treatment that we are providing, such as a vasovagal fainting episode, cardiac events, and true anaphylaxis, which I think is the event that most dental practitioners fear the most, and I quite rightly so. These have a definite medical pathway for treatment rather than the first grouping, which will often require urgent specialist care, but often dental in nature as well. Okay, that's quite a reasonable distinction, Mike. So can you talk us through it? Well, the first group of treatment-related emergencies we are generally aware of and have been educated in the principles of management, such as flushing with saline or local anaesthetic in the case of chemical burns, such as sodium hypochlorite. The next step is appropriate disclosure of the incident to your patient and prompt referral. In most cases, to the appropriate dental specialist, perhaps an endodontist for sodium hypochlorite incidents or an oral surgeon for surgical emphysema. This again may seem self-evident, but unfortunately, we do hear routinely of patients being told to attend the emergency department of the local hospital with no assistance in the process and no accompanying referral or description of the incident, or better still, a preceding phone call giving details and a contact number. Of course, should the incident become a medical emergency rather than a dental emergency, for example, surgical emphysema when the possibility of airway restriction or loss is real, then of course an ambulance is indicated. Another common example of the need for medical care is when it is possible that a dental instrument or foreign body may have been aspirated or swallowed. Even if your patient exhibits no symptoms such as coughing or chest tightness, a chest and generally abdominal radiograph is indicated to rule out the possibility of lodging in the airway or the GIT. While dentists can refer patients directly for these radiographs, I personally think it is a far more appropriate if this is done via a medical practitioner, 
as the interpretation of the radiograph and more importantly, any decisions on treatment if a foreign body is located are purely medical decisions. We can best assist by prompt telephone referral to a medical colleague with a written referral accompanying the patient, ideally with a photo of the likely lost item, such as a slow speed burr, and a reference item, such as a coin or ruler, in the photo indicating the size of the object. This would, of course, depend on your circumstances, as we also do not wish to be, for there to be a delay in the process of referral. Yeah, I agree, Mike. And the only time I've ever had to refer a patient for a suspected inhalation was at 5.45 in the afternoon. Now, where I worked then, I was very, very lucky to be close to the local radiography clinic, although I was nowhere near the um, nearest emergency room. So I stopped my clinic. I did have patients afterwards and I drove the patient over to the radiography clinic and stayed with them while the radiologist reviewed the films. In fact, we reviewed them together, which was really helpful to me because obviously and helpful to them, too, because I knew what we were looking for. We were then able to discharge the patient safely and I followed up by notifying the GP the next day because they'd long gone home by the time the event occurred. Well, that must have been a frightening incident and particularly not being able to access the care you needed straight away or the support, sorry. No, it really was for both of us. But somewhat ironically, the patient then became my best referrer, sending everyone from their family and their local community to me because he was so very pleased with the care he'd received, despite the fact it could have just gone very differently. So everything you've said so far sounds like reasonable advice, Mike, but some listeners may be wondering, well, didn't we learn all this at dental school? I'm not sure if we all did or not, Adeline. I guess I'm highlighting this because as I think you would agree, we do see regular complaints and some legal claims made on the basis of a frightened and confused patient being sent to a hospital for care with little information or referral, leaving them to fend for themselves. Our duty of care extends beyond the dental treatment that we provide and onto assisting with any further emergency or medical care that may be needed. Yeah, I do agree. And we do hear of this on occasions. And if the patient has inhaled something and requires medical intervention, it can lead to a very hostile complaint from the patient or their family. And I think we could all understand why they would feel this way. So what about the second group then, Mike? Incidents in the chair not related to the mouth or teeth. I, mean, I think these are the really scary ones. Oh, yeah, I agree, Annalyn. First, let me say I'm not going to discuss treatment and first aid. This is far too complex a discussion for this brief podcast and for my scope of practice. This needs expert advice. But rather, I would like to share observations with you from our experience in dealing with complaints and challenges when these events have occurred and what our regulators and experts expect from us in these situations. The most obvious and critical is life support, the ability to supply oxygen to the lungs and the circulation of blood. At its simplest, air goes in and out, blood goes round and round. So if things go wrong in a big way, this does not necessarily require diagnosis of the specific condition, but simply support of life. To provide this, we need cardiopulmonary resuscitation training. Our CPD requirements cover this, and the ADA policy statement 6.25 on medical emergencies and its discussion suggest every two years as a minimum. If you have a conscious sedation endorsement, a yearly update is required. Training is a start. However, this training should extend to the whole dental team and not just the dental practitioner. 
any emergency situation will necessarily involve the extended dental team and certainly the dental assistant you are working with, as they may well observe changes in a patient's behaviour or wellbeing before you do. Resuscitation is far more effective if multiple people are trained and involved. But training itself is not enough either. Dental practices need a written emergency protocol based on their first aid and CPR training. And most importantly, you need to rehearse this. Who will alert the ambulance service? Who will get the emergency oxygen? Who will begin the CPR process? This is far better workshopped in the calm of rehearsal when problems such as where the oxygen face masks are kept and what information emergency service will need can be discussed rather than becoming bottlenecks and points of panic in a real emergency. Yes, there's a lot of evidence now about having a trial run for an emergency can significantly improve the outcome for all involved. And a very public example occurred about this in 2017 after Operation Socrates in Manchester in the UK, where they'd trialed a mass disaster response and then quickly suffered the devastating attack at the Ariana Grande concert. The studies after this event regarding the medical and police response demonstrated a significantly better outcome for staff and casualties alike as a result of this training. And I'll put a link to an article about this in the speaker's notes for this podcast. So back to dentistry, Mike, we occasionally get asked what emergency drugs are required to be kept in the dental surgery. What are your thoughts on this? Well, this is a little tricky to answer because unlike, uh, say, New Zealand and the United Kingdom, where the dental councils provide direct guidance on required emergency drugs and access to defibrillators, Australian guidelines are to follow the advice of the Australian Resuscitation Council. Further advice can be gained from page 233 of the Therapeutic Guidelines Oral and Dental, which we all know as the clown book, and I would encourage listeners to review this. One thing we do know for certain is that the product disclosure sheet for all our local dental anaesthetics advises in capital letters that portable emergency oxygen is required. I would suggest that this oxygen and adrenaline are a bare minimum. Finally, Annalene, to emphasise the importance of preparation for what is generally an unforeseen event, I would like to introduce dental protection member and colleague of mine, Dr Andrea Smith, to describe her real-life encounter with anaphylaxis in the dental chair. Oh, thanks, Andrea, for agreeing to talk to our colleagues about your experience with a medical emergency in the chair. Now, we're actually recording this from Andrea's surgery because... I've just inserted a gold crown for Michael and he's 2-7 and it all went well. And I thank you very much for that. It's a lot better than what I had there and feels really good. So I guess we're just talking about this because if the sound quality is not as good as you're used to hearing on these podcasts, uh, it's because we're actually recording this from the office at Andrea's Surgery. So Andrea, um, let's talk about your experience. Okay, about um, 10 years ago, so I was a fairly new graduate then. I was um, taking over from a dentist doing some maternity leave in a solo practice, so I was working um, on my own independently. I had seen a a patient who was a male uh, 55-year-old who had no allergies and no known medications. Um, I saw him for a filling on a deep filling on a 4-7 about a week before. We talked about the fact that it might become symptomatic, and a week later he returned um, 
um, and it, this tooth was sore. Um, and upon consultation, we decided that he would prefer extraction of this tooth rather than any other treatment. Um, I gave him a block of lignocaine, and that was the same local anaesthetic I had used um, the week prior and in the same dosage, um, and we'd had no problems with that. Um, when we started to remove the tooth, he um, had discomfort, and it was at that time I decided I'd give him some more local anaesthetic. I decided for whatever reason that I would use some articaine, uh, and I gave him a buccal and lingual infiltration of one cartridge, um, and I and I thought that might um, add to the uh, anaesthetic, yeah. and he'd be able to be numb for the extraction. So, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So uh, at the time, I the moment I put my needle down with the articaine, um, he became very very agitated. His face became very red, and he said he felt very very hot. He pushed all of my instruments away and ran to the sink and put his head under the tap of water, which I thought was a really strange thing to do. At that time, I looked at him um, and his face was extremely red and his lips were very, very swollen and it became apparent to me that he was having a severe allergic reaction. So with my first aid training on board, I decided to get the receptionist to immediately call an ambulance and let them know that I had a patient who was experiencing a severe allergic reaction. I had started at this practice a few weeks prior and in the stock room I had seen an EpiPen. So I asked my dental assistant to go and grab the bottle of oxygen, which I had seen um, previously and I ran to get the EpiPen from the stock cupboard and now at that point I could not find the EpiPen. It wasn't where I'd seen it last and no one who was there that day knew where the EpiPen was. Um, the oxygen came with my dental assistant but the screw on top of the bottle was broken so I couldn't turn the oxygen on. So you di it didn't have the handle didn't or the tap Didn't have a on. handle, yeah. yeah. didn't have a tap to turn the oxygen okay. bottle on. So even though we had oxygen, I had no way to administer it to the patient. Um, so at that point I started to get really a bit scared and worried. I uh, asked the receptionist to tell the ambulance that, you know, this was a real emergency and could they please hurry up. Um, the patient um, was very swollen in the face, very red, and he had a, it was definitely wheezing. Uh, so he was having trouble with his breathing. Um, and at that stage, I decided to ask the one dental assistant who was there to run up. Um, there was a doctor's surgery three doors up. And could they please send a doctor down with some oxygen? So that's um, what was happening at that stage. I then looked back at the patient and he had gone from very red in colour to a bit of a, a grey colour. Um, so he, he was definitely changing, his, his state was definitely changing. Um, and at that point I had no adrenaline and no oxygen so I decided to, whether it was right or wrong, I decided to get a scalpel and a suction tip in case I uh, was forced to try and make an emergency airway for him. That sounds like a good plan. I, yeah. Yes, um, but it wasn't something that I have training in, but I thought if he was going to pass away that I would at least try to do something to save his life. Mm -hmm. um, 
at that point, um, the my dental assistant came back. She had a working bottle of oxygen from the doctor's surgery, which we were able to put on the patient, but no doctor arrived. So they, whether they didn't want to get involved, um, I'm not sure. I never really found out what happened there, but none of the doctors came down with any of their emergency medical supplies. Um, and uh, as, it was only as very few minutes went on, um, we were in contact continuously with the ambulance and they um, they finally arrived. And when they did, I breathed a sigh of relief <laughs> um, and they administered um, a lot of adrenaline to this gentleman um, and he became a little bit more stable mm-hmm. um, and they um, took him off to hospital um, where I understood, well, I know that he did um, survive. Mm-hmm. Um, one, as an aside, interestingly, as he was leaving, he said, do not tell my wife what has happened. She is undergoing um, cancer therapy and I don't want her to worry about me. Oh, that's a dilemma. But I, yes, yeah, but that's an aside anyway. Yeah, but you're probably worried about confidentiality. Yes. But in yes. cases like this, certainly your professional opinion would override confidentiality, yes, wouldn't so, it? Yes. So um, anyway, off he went to hospital uh, and he was okay. Um uh, then he wanted to come back a week or two later and have the tooth removed again, <laughs> and um, I refused. And I said I'd, I'd like him to have some allergy testing done mm-hmm. prior to um, me doing any further treatment for him, yep. um, which he refused to do. And then he requested his records be transferred to another practice. So I don't have any follow-up as to mm. what actually happened um, in that regard. Gee, that's interesting. You know, like after an experience like that yes. to say you don't want allergy testing. I mean, surely you'd think at the hospital they would have been through all that with him. Yes. The, you know, the dangers, um, you'd think surely you'd have recollection of just how scary it was. Yeah. Well, whether he doesn't recall or maybe, you know, he was hypoxic and doesn't remember how bad it was, but I certainly have you, still remembered it a decade later. <laughs> and I um I was certainly wasn't going to do any further yeah. treatment without um letter discussions, you yeah. know, yep, yeah. with with the medical practitioner in charge. Now, how how do you feel afterwards on the day? Like, did you sleep that night, or you, um, you, well, you it was keep a, seeing patients or what? No. So the ambulance um arrived obviously he was taken on a stretcher in quite a hurry um I actually by that point had two further patients in the waiting room and I just um went up to them and said we've had an emergency and I'm not going to um be able to see you today because I felt so upset by the whole I think that's a great idea Yeah. yeah yeah um I went home and I think um I rang a, a, a colleague and debriefed about it, mm-hmm. a, a dental colleague, yep. and we all said, wow, that's scary, um, and I went to bed that night. I didn't sleep particularly well. Yeah. Yeah. But that's good of you, you know, to think that you probably needed that debrief, mm. you know, rather than sitting there thinking by yourself, just to actually talk to a colleagues and, and work through yeah. it. Yeah, I tried to talk to my, my husband about it who's non-dental and he didn't um, have any clues. So I went to the next best thing, which was someone who uh, understood the clinical significance mm-hmm. of what happened. Yeah, okay. Now now that you've had a few years to think about it instead of the 20 seconds while you saw this guy go bright red, um, with the benefit of hindsight, is there anything you would have done differently on the day, do you think? Um, on the day, 
not I don't think so because I I knew what I had to do I wanted oxygen I wanted adrenaline and I sent for help um as a very first thing I Mm -hmm. asked them to call the ambulance but with the benefit of hindsight and I certainly have done this for every other practice I've ever worked at and for every um dentist who's ever worked in my practice I one of the first things I've done when they arrive for their first day is to show them our box of emergency medicines that we have here on site which include um, adrenaline um, how to use the oxygen where the bag valve mask is for Mm -hmm. manual ventilation Um, so in hindsight I would have known where all these things were and that they were actually working for when I needed them to be. Yeah. And, and just out of interest, um, did you ever find out where the EpiPen was? The EpiPen actually was um, for the um, the dentist who'd gone on maternity leave. It was actually for her daughter. So it had been ordered in for her daughter who has a peanut allergy and it was for use at home. So she had taken it home for her daughter. So what I had seen was not actually the EpiPen for the practice. It was for personal use and was no longer in, in, the, in, the, in the premises. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could you could see that. You're probably reassured when you walked in, saw an EpiPen on the counter, saw the oxygen. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think a lot of us would have thought this is great. We, you know, the practice has got those things that, you know, hopefully and, and most probably you'd never have to, to, to use. But in your case, yeah, the next day there you were. Yes, that's it. And I thought, oh, well, uh, you know, at least I know they're here. Um, we've got a fighting chance um, and I can I can do what my training's um, taught me to do. Taught you to do. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't uh, have the things at my disposal. So, yeah, that's the benefit of hindsight is knowing where everything is, knowing that it's working, knowing that it's in date. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every year when we do our first aid course here, we go through our emergency med- medical supplies and we check that everything is in the correct expiry date and that everything is safe to use for a patient. Great. Look, thanks for that, Andrea. Um, I hope that's your share of medical interest I- incidents uh, for your career over with, but I think that's very sage advice that it's not only about your management but you know, what you now do prior um, both for yourself and anyone who works for you, so everyone knows where everything is and that it's in date and that's actually going to work. So, look, thanks very much for that, Andrea. I appreciate it. There's nothing like a real life scenario, and you could hear the, you know, you could hear in your voice that you, know, you still you still remember this very well. A decade on, yes, <laughs> yeah, it will so, never leave me. So, I guess this is, um, yeah, for for our listeners. Um, I, I hope this is a nice bit of advice and a, and a story to sort of prompt you to um, think about how you would manage it personally and whether the practice you're working in, even if it's only for a day, um, that everything you need would be there. So thanks very much, Andrea, and, and goodbye, colleagues. You're welcome. Bye. So let's pause for a moment and consider how each one of us would have reacted in Andrea's position. Can we learn from the changes to her practice that Andrea has instituted as a result of this incident? How would you cope if this happened to you tomorrow? So now the take-home messages. Refresher training and rehearsing for emergencies is essential, and this needs to involve the whole team. 
Have emergency oxygen drugs on hand and know that the whole team are familiar with your practice emergency protocols. And if you refer a patient to an emergency department or to a medical practitioner, please provide details of the incident and any drugs involved and assist your patient as far as possible with a smooth transfer to more advanced care. Thank you so much for that information and advice, Mike. It's really helpful. And a big thank you to Andrea for sharing her story. And thank you all for listening. We do hope this podcast was helpful to you and we look forward to sharing more guidance with you in the future. If you like Dental Protection Podcasts and you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and leave a review.